the four o'clock football frenzy. Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The four o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. Raiders starting to build a list of head coach candidates, uh, GM candidates as well. We were just talking about Dave Ziegler from the Patriots with uh, New England reporter and uh, radio personality Ben Volen. And I think your questions are fair, Candy, about the lack of success with former Patriot coaches when they've gone elsewhere. But I, I think we have to kind of give a fresh start to every single person who comes out of the organization and it's, it's not exactly fair, you know, just because Josh McDaniels, well, here's, here's the deal. I think a lot of the Belichick guys, because they learn at the feet of Belichick, either develop issues in terms of communicating or they already had them to begin with. And he covers for them. Like I have no idea if Steve Belichick down the road, by the way, I was, <laughs> I was, I was doing kind of a on our uh, on our in-house video system, which we communicate with sometimes if we're not all together. I was giving you a little like Gene Simmons tongue, and the reason I was doing that is there was I forget what game it was this year, but Steve Belichick was I, I don't know if he has like mild ticks or something, but he was being real weird like with his tongue. And listen, I don't know a whole lot about the guy. I don't know if he's like kind of socially inept and Dad's covering for him and he has a job. Or if he truly has upside. My whole point is Gerard Mayo could be a Bafo candidate as a head coach. Just because he's working for Belichick doesn't mean that he's Steve Belichick or Charlie Weiss or Josh McDaniels. Uh, and a lot of those guys, like especially, you know, Weiss and, and Josh McDaniels, like I don't even know why Josh McDaniels, outside of the Patriots coach in waiting, would be considered for another job. He he already bailed on a job he took with the Colts. The day after, and the Broncos thing is a disaster. I don't, I don't know if you ever get that off your ledger. Look, let's be real clear about one thing about Steve Belichick, and this is just as catty as I can be. Uh, that is a prototype that somehow escaped the factory before research and development had finished what they were trying to do with it. Like something doesn't look right there. All the pieces do not appear to have been assembled in correct order on Steve Belichick. Now yeah. that being said, I think that you take the point you just made about. You can't ding guys who came out of the Patriot system before they get somewhere. But you have to look at the flip side of that. The flip side of that is you also can't give them any credit for having been part of the Patriots, right? Like you just have to take that person and say, okay, I interviewed a candidate. I got their resume off monster.com. Here's the candidate. And what do I think about that candidate? Because it's too hard to figure out what they were responsible for, and what they weren't at the hands of the hoodie. Right. And Vrabel definitely is a success. Um, as Volan pointed out, O'Brien's kind of, kind of Belichick, kind of not from that family tree. And I would say he had success, but it, it was almost underwhelming in some ways, uh, because of that division. The Flores thing I think is fascinating because I can, there's a lot of stuff going on here. Like we talked about last week, the, one of the Dolphins writers, Omar Kelly said, you know, Flores is out because he doesn't know offense and he can be a D and, that is to be expected because when you learn at the feet of Belichick, maybe you're not the greatest communicator. But then the flip side of it is if you're a coach and you go into the owner and the GM and you're like, this ain't the guy. 
I'm telling you, this Tua ain't the guy. Like, I don't know what the outcome of Tua is going to be. So three years from now, we may look at it and go, you know what, Flores, Flores was right, and he was right to fight to get someone else and move on from Tua. I swear to all that is holy, I don't want to hear a word about someone was a D. I don't want to hear about this guy was a jerk. Because if he's winning games, nobody yeah. gives a damn if he's a jerk. Bill Belichick is not thought of as warm and cuddly. He's shown to everyone to be a jerk. And he wins games and nobody cares. So if you're Brian Flores and you go 19-14 and 14 in Miami with a hobbled quarterback and whatever was left of Ryan Fitzpatrick, then I don't care if you're a jerk. I don't care if you go in there to Chris Greer and Stephen Ross and say, we don't want that guy anymore because Tua was not good, period. And if you are vocal about that and yet you still win games, then that should be nobody's problem but your own. So I guess maybe the, the line we can draw, Cofield, is that if we take Vrabel and Flores as the more recent guys out of the Belichick tree versus the Romeo Crennels and the Charlie Weisses and the earlier ones, maybe you can say that more recent history is favorable to the Patriots guys than older history. How are you feeling now about our Brian Flores bet? Fantastic. You are still, really? He's interviewed for three jobs already. All right. Okay. Listen, I am gonna, you, you are going to get a video self-shot of me walking through Smith's finding the least responsible things that I can possibly spend your money on. I'm going to find all of the things that I, I, no one should be purchasing and say, you know what, this is how much I respect your money. I am buying like Easter candy that somehow ended up on the shelf six months too late. By the way, for the audience, our bet is Brian Flores will will not have a job head coaching this year, this upcoming season. I say no. Candy says yes. I was trying to capitalize on the fact that everyone was hot and heavy last week about it. Let's let's see how this plays out. Let's see all the interviews. Let's see which coach's sons move to the top of list. Let's see which retreads that look like Dan Quinn move to the top of a lot of lists. Let's see which coaches uh, who are Ivy League educated and 24 years old, but uh, somehow, you know, took a whiff of a, you know, Matt LaFleur or Sean McVay fart. You know, they they go to the top of the list. Watch all the guys who start getting interviews here and all the reasons where people come up with uh, why Brian Flores isn't ready for another gig just quite yet. Let's see how this plays out. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. All those rumors about Jim Harbaugh and how much Mark Davis might be into him and all those reports that started to flurry out. If you start to wonder if, man, if Mike Mayock wasn't aligned with that vision and Mark Davis is hell-bent on that here, maybe that starts to become where he clears out everyone that stands in the way of him going and getting the coach he seems to be enamored with. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Outside perspective on the Raiders situation. You buy that candy that Mike Mayock wouldn't have stayed around to work with Jim Harbaugh? No. In short. (laughs) 
I mean, I know, you know, in all likelihood, Mayock was very, or it was pro Bisaccia, but I don't think he would have, he would have put up such a stink as to not work with Jim Harbaugh. Let's bring in a national perspective, covered the Raiders as well. Miles Simmons, pro football talk. Miles, what do you think when you heard that, that, uh, you know, May- Mayock just made it clear. He, he, he didn't want to work with Harbaugh. He was going to be in the way of bringing in Harbaugh. That's interesting to me. Uh, I mean, I don't know about all that, <laughs> you know? I mean, I, I just, I feel like the way that things were handled yesterday by Mark Davis and the Raiders was in such a clunky fashion and really kind of not befitting of the way that uh, it, Mike Mayock kind of stabilized things from an organizational standpoint when everything happened with John Gruden and Henry Ruggs and Damon Arnett. You know, I mean, I, I you know, Mark Davis wasn't the one that was standing up there at the podium uh, answering questions. That was Mike Mayock. And I think for him to not hear officially that he was let go until after things started trickling out on social media, that was a report today from Vic Tafer of The Athletic. Like that to me is, it, that's not, it's a little disgraceful. And, and like I said, it's just not befitting of the way that Mike Mayock handled himself and the way that he represented the Raiders. So when something like that happens, do you think it starts to spread around the league and it could hurt the Raiders in terms of, you know, getting real candidates? Are there going to be some people who are like, nah, don't want any part of that? Absolutely. Yes. I mean, like I, I it would not surprise me at all if there were teams that you know, because you got to think about this when things were out on social media, it wasn't like um, that job had perceived to be open, was perceived to be open. Right. So, I mean, you you might ask a couple of different guys around the league and it's like, well, wait a minute. I, I don't know if I should grant them permission to talk to anybody. That's disrespectful to Mike Mayock if that job isn't even open. I don't know if that job is open or not. So I think that, yeah, that could hurt um, the Raiders in terms of a perception standpoint of what the ownership is and how they're dealing with things. But I, that being said, I think that it doesn't necessarily hurt what the job is generally. And I think generally it's still a pretty good GM and head coaching job. Well, Miles, I mean, it's a lot better than leaving Reggie McKenzie hanging for an entire year, well, right? Uh, you, know, I mean, uh, you know, no, I'm, I'm obviously joking a little <laughs> bit uh, with my tongue, with my tongue planted firmly in cheek. But yes, um, when we get to talking about the the GM and the head coaching situations, it to me, it filters all the way down to when we talk about Derek Carr, of course, and we say, all right, so to me, Mark Davis blowing out Mike Mayock says he's not fooled by the fact that this team made the playoffs this year. He believes that they're farther away and that there needs to be more of an overhaul. What do you think that eventually means for Derek Carr? It's a great question because I think that might be determined by whoever they bring in. You know, I think if if Mark Davis were to, were to have gone with the status quo, right, and say, all right, well, you guys made it to the playoffs. You guys did a great job going down the stretch. And you, may, you were closer than you know many other teams in wild card weekend. Let's see what this does for another year. Then I think that Derek Carr would be fully on board with that. But then you'd also still have the question of, all right, well, what does that mean beyond this year? Because, of course, Derek Carr is going into his last season of his contract. Now, because they didn't, you know, I think that Derek Carr is going to have to really sit down and look at whatever the new regime is and decide if this is the direction that he wants to go in. And, you know, there are other teams out there that would probably really like Derek Carr as their quarterback. 
Washington comes to mind. The Cleveland Browns kind of come to mind. Pittsburgh comes to mind as just places that he could go in be in a, and make an immediate impact as the kind of quarterback and the kind of leader that he is. And I know whenever you say something like this, you get those Raider fans that are like, well, Derek Carr said that he'd rather retire than play anywhere else. I was like, guys, yeah, you know, he said that, and I respect that he said that, and I believe that he does want to spend his entire career with the Raiders if possible, but that's, a, like, in a practical sense, like, as a practical implications, that's just not true, all right? He's a very good quarterback that can make, that can go someplace and make an impact if that's so, if that's what he ends up wanting to do, and, you know, I, I just feel like that there are going to be options for Derek Carr out there if he decides, somewhat like Matthew Stafford did last year, that he just doesn't want to go through this whole thing again. Uh, and when we talk about Derek Carr, we're talking about a California kid who grew up with respect for the franchise, but also tends to be a little bit clunky when he talks about things as well so don't read too much into the words in particular yeah. because he's as smart as anybody when it comes to knowing that he has value out there I'd even add, even though I don't think they'd trade him within the division I'd add Denver to that mix as well of teams right. that are in a spot to use Derek Carr's value but I, I kind of feel like Miles that if we're talking about the future of the Raiders that Mark Davis is signaling that Derek Carr is not going to be here next year I, I can't imagine that you're looking at the Raiders front office and saying, if we're getting rid of the GM and we're putting the head coach through this and we're potentially saying we're starting over, how do you start over with a quarterback who's going to be 31 years old next year? Well, I, I think it's simply that. I mean, he's only 31 and we can kind of say only 31 in a league where a lot of these guys are getting into their late 30s. They're getting starting to get into their 40s. And yeah, Tom Brady is the exception, so I don't necessarily want to use him as an example. But Matt Ryan is still pretty effective in his late 30s. All right, you look at somebody like Aaron Rodgers, and obviously he's one of the best of all time, but he's still pretty effective. Um, Drew Brees was effective late into his 30s as well. So I think Derek Carr is still in his prime. Now, when it comes to do you want to make sure that he is you know, learning a, an entirely new offensive system and going through all these different things. I mean, I, I just don't think that it's got to be a prerequisite for anybody to say, yeah, we're going to come in and we're going to blow this thing up and Derek Carr's not going to be here, right? I, I think that there are still pieces that you can build around with the Raiders and Derek Carr is one of them. Uh, Max Crosby defensively would be another one of those guys. Hunter Renfro who's one of the better slot receivers in the league. You can Darren Waller. Like there are still pieces, and it doesn't have to be a complete teardown. I, I just think that you need the right coach, and you need the right to to get the most out of the pieces that are already there, and you need the right GM who will implement the right scouting department to you know get you more pieces that can augment that success because I, I think that when you look at it right now there's just there wasn't enough depth right there was just wasn't enough talent for the Raiders to really go any farther than where they got Miles Simmons pro football talk is with us all right after um ram it got freaking run all over him yesterday what do you think they're thinking right now in the Cardinals organization oh gosh man I don't know I look I I um, I was so like I was kind of disgusted with the way that the Cardinals played. 
that game. I mean, it's a four and a five seed, not a two and a seven. And you see the Cardinals just have absolutely no idea what was going on, basically at any point offensively for the entire first half. They had 40 yards in the first half. They didn't have a third down conversion the entire game. They had minus three yards on their first three drives in the first quarter. It was ridiculous what they put out there when you're going against the division rival for the third time. Now, granted, the Rams defense played very well. And even though the Cardinals were, you know, pooing the bed, like you actually have to still go out there and execute and make sure you're stopping them. It's easier said than done to get things, you know, really going against guys like Aaron Donald, Von Miller, and Jalen Ramsey. And I understand that. From a division rival standpoint, to the fact that you go in there and you don't know what you're doing at all, and then you run a surrender draw when you've got 35 seconds left in the half and three timeouts, and you still have Kyler Murray, who was drafted number one overall a couple of years ago, I thought it was one of the worst coaching performances I've seen in years from Cliff Kingsbury. And I think that's completely fair to pin that on Kingsbury. But when it comes to the on-the-field product, Miles, and I'm not pointing this at you, I'm pointing this at Uh-oh. the the media at large. Uh oh. Why are we not hearing more about DeAndre Hopkins? Why are we not hearing more about a top two wide receiver not being in that offense? If Aaron Rodgers were in the playoffs without Devontae Adams, it would be the only thing we heard about. Well, look at what he's doing without Devontae Adams. But we don't give Kyler Murray the same amount of credit to say he doesn't have DeAndre Hopkins. So uh, why do you think we're forgetting about D Hop so much? I'm not forgetting about DeAndre Hopkins, Mr. Candy. I I said I'm not pointing at you. Oh, my God, so sensitive. (laughs) No, but I I think part of it is they still had James Conner. They still had Chase Evans, and they hadn't had those two guys on the field, and they said that was a bigger deal. Some of the reporting that came out from Arizona before that game said their game plan was to try to run it as much as possible at the Rams, and they couldn't even do that successfully. So what's your game plan? You know, I, like I said, I wasn't really pointing the finger all that much at Kyler Murray, even though, yes, I did think he had a pretty terrible performance and he was skittish in the pocket and he looked as clueless as he's ever looked on a football field that I've ever seen him play on. So that's one thing. But I think that even though DeAndre Hopkins wasn't there, they still have enough that they can go out there and execute. I think one, two of three games without DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray during the season. All right, And they were playing division rivals in those games, too, that they won. They lost to the Carolina Panthers, and maybe that should have been a sign of what was to come, All right, especially because they're losing that game at home. But I, I just think that they have enough talent that they should be able to still overcome some of what they don't have when they're missing DeAndre Hopkins. And they did nothing. Right? You, even if Aaron Rodgers doesn't have Devontae Adams, if they put out a, a performance where they get 40 yards in the first half, are we still going to say, oh, well, he doesn't have Devontae Adams, so I guess that's it. No. Rams catching three against the Buccaneers. Mm-hmm. I would throw out the question about Stafford, but first time around, he whooped up on the Buccaneers with 343 and four touchdowns. Brady had to throw it 700 times. He couldn't run the ball. What sort of shot do the Rams have this time around? I think they have a decent shot. Look, especially because of the way the offensive line injuries are right now uh, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You saw Tristan Wirfs had to, their right tackle, he had to go out and he tried to come back in and he very obviously could not move. So that was one thing. Then their backup right tackle also had a quad thing going on. And then their center also has an injury. So like they're a little bit beat up on the offensive line and Tom Brady is obviously not very mobile. And so when you're trying to evade rushers like Aaron Donald, Von Miller, Leonard Floyd, 
like and, and you can't really move all that well and you're playing guys that are not even on your first or second team on the depth chart there like that could be a real problem for them. And frankly, the Rams have matched up pretty well with the Buccaneers over the last couple years since Tom Brady's been there. And you got to remember last year, they went down to Tampa Bay and beat the Buccaneers there too. So, and, and that was before the Bucs went on their run toward the end of the season and got everything going really, really well. But still, I just, I feel like the Rams can go down there and beat the Bucs in Tampa Bay. If, if I'm the Buccaneers, I would have maybe preferred to see any other opponent in this round just based on the way it's been a bad matchup over the last couple of years. Most important part of this conversation, did you have halftime hot dog last night at SoFi? What was Finally. going on with the hashtag Team Mustard? Oh, I find, I, it's been so long since I had a, a halftime hot dog. Like, it used to be my thing, and I do it all the time. And A, I don't go to as many games as I used to go to anymore. But B, earlier in the year at SoFi, they were serving corn dogs instead of you know real hot dogs. At halftime, and I am just fundamentally against corn dogs, so I, I would never eat them. But you know, getting a getting a good little mini hot dog was nice. Fundamentally uh, against. Fundamentally, yeah. what, what? Wait a minute. What? What did the corn dog ever do to you? That's just disgusting. I don't. I don't. I mean, what is? What do you need that thing for? It's, it's oh, like, and you, nah. Miles. I can tell you. I can tell you <laughs> nah. why you're wrong. I, because I'm looking Please. at Ari right now, and Ari is cheering you. If you have the same food opinion as Ari, <laughs> you have to be really concerned. Maybe I do. I don't know. But I'm just saying, man, like I just I'm not like big on like everything needs to be fried in general. Now, you know, fried chicken, of course, a deep fried Oreo had a couple of those actually over the weekend. They were kind of fantastic. You know, fried dough. I'm kind of into it, too. But like the fried cornmeal around the hot dog, like just put the hot dog on the grill and give me yeah. the hot dog. Like you're cooking, you're boiling the hot dog and then you got to put the hot dog in the on the stick and then dip it and then fry. like absolutely not no I, I i can't do it just can't do it um speaking of wieners we got to close on this one a um, <laughs> lot of full frontal a lot of full frontal uh first week back for euphoria Whoa, uh, yeah. you want to make a pitch to the audience on on uh, euphoria and the uh, just a dynamite <laughs> opening issue and uh what was the line what was it what was a classic line at the end before uh, something happened i don't want to give a spoiler was it uh it's a new year playboy it's a new year playboy yeah that's a fantastic scene. I've literally watched that scene probably 15 times. It's yep. just, wow. That show, that show, man, it'll get you. It sticks with you. Candy, you on board for Euphoria? It's the way the kids go to high school these days. Oh, <laughs> you know me, Steve. Uh, once a new series comes out five years from now, I'll be watching it. <laughs> that one's tough to binge, though, man. That one's real tough to binge. You, like, it's a good thing now Intense. that, yeah, that they get this once a week. Because I, I was trying to watch multiple episodes of Euphoria in a day to, you know, remind myself of what happened because it was so many years ago that it was first on, and like, I, I had to stop because it's just like, whoo, that's too much. Miles, you're the best. What's going on on uh, Peacock this week? Uh, well, I was actually on today because our colleague Shireen Williams um, was doing more important things than being on uh, Peacock, and that is voting for Hall of Famers. So that's yeah. awesome. So she will be on tomorrow. I will be back on Friday getting everybody ready for uh, the divisional round matchups, which should be really fun. That's 2 o'clock p.m. Uh, Pacific time there on the Peacock Network. Miles, you're awesome. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Take care. Sammy P is coming up. He'll give us his leans and likes for this uh, Elite Eight in the National Football League. And we got the fat pack. I'll ask Candy if he's ever sat down and uh, binged on 32 sushi rolls in one sitting.
The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today. We don't mess around when it comes to food. It's the Fat Pack, brought to you by Nova Home Loans. And there's wine already for tasting, and there's Cadillacs all shiny and new. Gotta move, cause time is a wasting. Candy headline for the Fat Pack. Woman who binged 32 sushi rolls at all you can eat they rushed to the hospital. I don't I don't know what happened here. I believe she likely was overcome with happiness and must have had some sort of convulsion, maybe broken a bone, something like that. I, I can't imagine what would be wrong with binging on 32 sushi rolls. And by the way, that probably means that she got them for like less than a dollar a piece on the all you can eat sushi price. That is what we call value. Danielle Shapiro, 24, rookie, wanted to get her money's worth, as the story says, at a $50 all-you-can-eat sushi buffet at Sushi 85, 32 rolls of sushi. She also decided to share the experience on TikTok. This was right before Christmas, and uh, it resulted in a trip to the hospital that left her with IVs in her arms. IVs for what? what? What are we giving her that she didn't already have? Like, it, all right, so 32 sushi rolls. Most of them are, what, seven or eight pieces. So we're going to assume, let's just say she had something like 225 pieces of sushi, right? What, what, what are we, is it a soy sauce IV? Was it not properly mixed? Like, what, what's the problem here? Like, what, what, is that why she got in trouble? Too much wasabi and not enough soy? Our dinner was about two hours long because we were so stuffed and we had to keep taking breaks. Uh, she started off with miso soup, four gyoza, and jalapeno poppers. Then moved on to eight green dragon rolls, eight snow rolls, eight California rolls, eight some other kind of rolls, and a helping of edamame. I mean, what are we doing here? Don't you feel like the jalapeno poppers were probably the real problem here? I, as soon as I read like, that, I was like, I don't know if that goes. And I'm like iron stomach guy who eats weird combos you know milk and cheese and heavy stuff and jalapeno poppers and sushi but like is she bringing her own food in with her did, did she stop off at applebee's before she got to the sushi place like oh you know what you know what this uh you know what this 32 roll meal needs it's a little spice jalapeno poppers i i don't really get that i, I don't really get any of this but i also what i don't respect is allowing herself to be transported to the hospital I don't respect that at all. I, I feel if like if, if you're going to do it, do it. If you're going to go in for it, you accept the risk here. You accept the yep. risk that you might kill yourself. You might just go down and you will go down in a blaze of glory. But what are we doing making medical professionals who are trying to deal with real issues bail you out of your self-inflicted sushi binge that shouldn't even have been a problem in the first place? That's a good point. Learn how to vomit. It's easy as that. Don't be a wimp. Uh, coming up next, Sammy P is going to tell us uh, what he likes, what he doesn't like in the uh, next round of the NFL playoffs, and he's also going to fill us in on the mad Russian. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. I get money, I get money, 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 money. It 
It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Sammy P. Sammy P. All right, let's bring him in. Sam Paniotovich, Chicken Dinner Podcast, and Nessin, Fox Sports. What's up, buddy? The Raiders plus six was freaking torture, guys. I went through that grinder. It was ugly early. You had life late. You got pulled out of the coffin, thrown back in the coffin, pulled out of the coffin again, and Rich Passaccia decides to kick that field goal down 10 from, like, the 10-yard line on fourth and three. The TV almost went off the balcony. Aside from that, what else drove you nuts? What were the biggest issues in not getting the Raiders cover? Um, I, I feel like this happens sometimes. I try to outsmart myself in the early round of the NFL playoffs, and I think that the public can't win literally every single game, and I'm mistaken sometimes. Like, I only made two positions um, on the weekend. I had the Raiders plus six, which I would argue was a 50-50 shot still. I had the Cowboys minus three. They had, what, 15 penalties, seven pre-snap. Dak looked awful, and Jimmy G beats him with one shoulder. But I think, you know, my easiest decision was the Rams, minus three and a half and some four. Uh, That wasn't even close. But if you look at these games, man, it was very easy for the public. They just cleaned up because they didn't overthink it. You could make the case, Steve, that the best quarterback won every game. Brady and the Bucks, Mahomes and the Chiefs, Burrow and the Bengals, Allen and the Bills, Stafford and the Rams, and, I mean, Garoppolo and Dak is a coin flip. But if you just bet on the better quarterback in every single game, you likely won every time. And that's – I thought that couldn't happen, and I think the books thought that it couldn't happen. The other thing that was crazy was the sharp money on the Eagles from 8.5 to 8 to 7.5 to 7, and they got blown off the field. So I guess biggest takeaway is that the Wise guys got crushed and the public killed. Bartender's on fire. Which plays into exactly what I just said. I mean, he had the Bengals. He laid five and a half, and then he hit Niners money line, which was a nice play, like an actual plus EV play. I think plus 140 or plus 145. Were they the better team? I guess, but they also tried to give it away. He did text me during that final drive. He was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And in fitting fashion, Dak Prescott tries to run, and they can't spike the ball. But, yeah, the bartender's playing with a little house money now. He's 2-0 and in the playoffs which poses the question, do you ride him at 2-0 and or do you know he's going to lose the third game? Hmm. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Bartender is Sammy's resident mush, who's been picking at below 45% over the last couple of years. Um, who is the mad Russian, or who are the mad Russians? So it's a group of three friends from, I believe, Battle Creek, Michigan. I'm going to have them on chicken dinner tomorrow. They entered the contest in Vegas, the Circa Million and the Westgate. And they placed in the money in both. Finished wow. seventh seventh in the Super Contest and tied for first in the million. But here's this. They didn't win the million because of a technicality on the tiebreaker. So they finished in second in the Circa Million for 325,000 smacks. A lot of money, yes. But they had the same record as the group that won the million. So... That was an interesting story. We'll get into that. But they went 63-27 and 27 in the Circa Million, 70%. A bunch of buddies from the state of Michigan that hit the American dream, right? Gambling on 
NFL games with your friends and winning six figures and getting a big, dumb, goofy plastic check. That's the dream. <laughs> and dream it is because, do Sammy, you talk to people about betting all day long, every day. Uh, think people have any idea how hard it is to hit 70%, let alone the NFL? Well, apparently on Twitter, everybody does it because everybody won but me this past week. And although I'm the first to admit when I lose and I'm happy to learn from my losses, I feel like every analyst made money this weekend except for me. Um, to answer your question, professional bettors salivate over the opportunity to hit 56 and 57% over a calendar year. Like that is to them, that's amazing. 57, 58% is so good. So to hit 70% over an NFL side market, remember, it's not totals either. Sides are harder than totals. A lot of wise guys will tell you that. And here's the icing on the cake. They needed to go 5-0 and to finish tied for first and collect the second-place check. Their fifth game was the Raiders and Chargers. And oh, my God. Vegas. Yes. So the one guy told me, I started Sunday drinking Miller Lights. And after the first slate of games, I changed to hard hard liquor. I was pounding vodka. He doesn't even remember the Sunday night game, but the Raiders win the game outright, cementing a 5-0 and weekend and a check for $325,000. Sammy, I like a good sweat, but if I were in the position of any of those three, I think I might have intentionally just downed the entire bottle until I passed out and just told somebody, Wake me up in the morning and let me know. There's no way. I, my heart would have exploded. That sounds like every other Saturday for me, so I'm used <laughs> to that. I mean, that's that's nothing too crazy in my world. You're going to have to go next level. We're going to have to start mixing different things together to get to a level that makes me go, ooh, that's fair, disgusting. But Fair enough. I mean, fair enough. A, a little vodka never hurt anybody, especially after how hard we work. That Absolutely. How hard you work. Let's not – don't put that <laughs> level on me. I can't keep up with the kind of – the kind of life you got going. Uh, that being said, what did you see when you look at this weekend in the NFL? So, I mean, the biggest enigma right now in the NFL and the betting market is Jimmy Garoppolo. There are many conversations. It's like an onion, really. The first question is, how is the shoulder? And nobody knows that right now on a Tuesday at 450 Pacific. They, they haven't even gotten up the practice field yet, so we don't know how the shoulder is. He took a bad hit in the second quarter of that game. Likely got shot up like a horse, played the second half, wasn't all that great. And we know that the organization wants him to be here in the postseason. But if that shoulder is worse than they're letting on, are they going to play him? Or do they opt to go to Trey Lance? I've talked to a couple beat reporters that say it's 50-50. They don't know yet, and we probably won't know collectively until Thursday or Friday. If he doesn't go, the second part of that onion is, what is the drop-off from Garoppolo to Lance? And if you ask, honest to God, you ask five people that take bets for a living, you might get five different responses. It's unlike any quarterback that I can remember. If you ask, all right, what's Mahomes to Henny? Six. What's Brady to you know Blaine Gabbert? Five and a half. What's Garoppolo to Lance? I heard three. I heard two. I heard pick. And then I heard that Lance is better. <laughs> and I'm like, I like nobody knows because we don't. You know, Trey Lance didn't play his last year in college because the season got bonged for COVID at North Dakota State. And in the limited action we saw him then this year, he was awful. Um, I mean, you know, some Niners backers are going to go back to Kaepernick when he came out of nowhere that season and rode them all the way to the Super Bowl. But, I mean, this Lance kid is just – he's such hes such a question mark right now. 
And I talked to a couple guys at the Westgate today and Circa. Like, they all know if Garoppolo's ruled out, that line's going to shoot through seven. And we already saw some of the rumors come out today. And that line went from, you know, four and a half, five, five and a half. And now a lot of books are at six in Las Vegas. So the line tells you right now that they don't know if Jimmy's going to play. And they have absolutely no idea if he's healthy or not. But that's been the most... That's been the most hair-raising issue for the last two days. Is Garoppolo healthy? Is he going to play? And what's the drop-off? And you can't get a clear answer on any of those questions. Who's taking Tennessee three-and-a-half against Cincy? I won't lay three-and-a-half just off principle. Like, I sat there Sunday night. I was looking at the phones and everything, and I thought, man, minus two-and-a-half is a good bet. And by the time I woke up Monday morning, I slept in a little bit. It was already three-and-a-half. Like, I missed two-and-a-half and three um, that's a sharp move, you know, going from two and a half to three and a half. I think both of these first round buys, I think, are a little underrated. Tennessee and Green Bay both getting immensely healthier. With Green Bay, it's Alexander coming back at corner, Zadarius Smith, linebacker, and let's not forget left tackle and all pro David Bakhtiari's back. Plus, they've been able to rest for a whole week. On the Tennessee side, you know the deal. A.J. Brown, a little healthier, which is a big deal, and Derrick Henry's back. I mean, these two teams haven't played by the time these games kick off they will have not played in two weeks which come this time of the year is a huge deal give guys rest let them recover um that was a big move and i even see the Westgates on uh tennessee minus four now so um that's been a, a very strong position and cincinnati has clearly been the darling uh for the public and the uh the sharp guys i mean that that team has been bet and bet and bet again over the last month they're a very sexy team so I'm surprised it went through three so fast, and now we're seeing the market trend toward minus four. You more impressed last week with the Rams or Tampa Bucks three? I was impressed with the Rams, but you and I talked about this multiple times. Like fading Cliff Kingsbury is one of my favorite things to do. When the pressure ramps up, that guy melts like butter under a heat lamp. I mean, he just and he was the type of guy all year that he showed you his his best hands and his best cards in week six and week eight, everything they did well was on tape and he, he saved nothing for this game. Now, not having Deandre Hopkins was a big deal. I was impressed with the way Tampa played with efficiency on offense, because remember narrative street was, well, there's no Antonio Brown. There's no Godwin Brady's old and Brady's Brady. He's a different monster at this point in the season. And he made Gronkowski, look like a champ like he always does he made other receivers better Brady makes the players it's not the other way around so not having Brown and not having Godwin I don't think there's that big of a drop-off because it's still Brady and you still have to kill the king until you kill the king he's the king so I guess I was impressed with the way Tampa jumped out and that defense man they looked mean I mean they took their foot off the gas late in that game Gave up 15 in the fourth quarter, but they were pitching a shutout after three. And I watched that Eagles offensive line try and move Vita Vea around for three quarters. They couldn't do it. And that's one guy. People forget, man, this this defense was the reason they won the Super Bowl last year. And they're as healthy as they've been all season, which kind of leans me toward that side where I can lay two and a half at the South Point. I can lay two and a half at stations. I can lay two and a half at the win on Brady in a playoff game at home. When was the last time you could do that? Sharps on Buffalo or KC? Chiefs two, two and a half. Well, it's a very good question. I'll tell you what, the sports books clearly respect Buffalo. And this is that that old adage where, you know, 
home field used to be worth three. Clearly, it, it isn't worth three anymore. It hasn't been for a while. But to see this market open sub three and get bet even lower, two at Circa, two at Westgate, two at South Point, two at Caesars, two at Wynn, that is respect on the open for Buffalo, and it's respect since post on Buffalo. A lot of wise guys betting Buffalo in this spot. And if you remember when these two teams played earlier in the season, Buffalo was the more physical team. They dominated this game. So I think there's a lot of bookmakers that are okay writing bets on minus two, two and a half on Kansas City because they know, Steve, if they hang a three, the wise guys are gonna they're gonna chomp that up. They're gonna take plus three all day on Buffalo. So that explains why that number opened a little bit lower and why it's tracked even lower. Yep, exactly what uh you know, looking ahead on Sunday morning, what John Murray told us that if, if they put up a three, they, there's no way it would stay there. So, yeah, they don't want to write any bets on Buffalo three. That's that's clear. Yep. I do have this number now. This is not exactly a legal out, but I I made a point spread or not a point spread. I made a money line on you actually meeting me out on Super Bowl Sunday. The yes, you will meet me out is plus one fifty five. It's too low. The no, the no, you won't make it out is minus one eighty. It's over 200 on the no. Well, at least you're honest. You know, yes. I was going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Okay, so you're going to say, what, 250 on the no? Yes, 250 on the no. It's a wild and woolly day. If uh, if things go well, then I, I, I won't have any ability to be driving around town. Let's just say that. Why don't we just watch the game together, and then we could take an Uber to Oasis after the game? That's the plan, man. That, 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 that could be. There's an opening there. There's an you opening. Are so, there, but, you are so full of it. You are so but, full of it. But but in the end, uh, I don't decide what we do on Super Bowl Sunday. There is a boss in the house. I'm not okay, the boss on Super Bowl Sunday. That's fair. I oh, one last thing before. That. Yes. Before I forget, uh, the state of Illinois month of November, they yes. uh, they made yes. seventy nine million dollars, seventy nine million right. in revenue, right. which is an all time high for Illinois. Of uh, that seventy nine point three million. $44 million were made off of parlays. Yep. That's that's it, folks. If you're listening right now, that, that's all you need to know. $44 in, million. I mean, if you're putting in, you know, two and three teamers or four teamers to cover the weekend or freaking same game parlays, I mean, the numbers are there. We're not making them up. Just, I said this I, on my show. I, I said there's a reason, a reason that you see these books like DraftKings and FanDuel tweet out the eight teamer that won 12 grand. There's a reason you see those tweets and you don't see any tweets of them lighting a box of parlays on fire. Yep. The lottery ticket. People get turned on by it. Sammy, we appreciate it. Peace and love, gentlemen. See ya. At Chicken X Dinner on Twitter. You can read his stuff, see his videos on Nesson, and he also does uh, gambling insider stuff for Fox Sports Radio. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas.